American bars are a lot more dynamic in general. As soon as we, we drove here and we stopped in Scranton, Pennsylvania, we went to Ruby Tuesdays and I mean, it's not exactly painkiller, right? You know, this is like a, a chain bar and I looked at the menu and they had pretty good cocktails, you know, and they, and everyone at the bar was talking to each other. And we what, just, what did you get? I, oh, I think I just had a margarita. Hello, and welcome to the Oxford Comment. I'm Michelle, here with the lovely... Justina. And you just heard us chatting at the local bar, The Gingerman, with author Christine Sismondo, who just wrote a book for us called America Walks Into a Bar, a spirited history of taverns and saloons, speakeasies, and grog shops. And Christine is Canadian. She is also a cocktail columnist and actually schooled Michelle and I on the fact that American bars are superior to Canadian bars. And that even includes our lovable chain, Ruby Tuesdays. Justina, I'm looking at their menu right now, their cocktail menu, and they have something called a Ruby Relaxer, which has been around for 35 years. Ooh, and they also have something called a lavender pear martini, which is new, um, a watermelon martini, and a pomegranate margarita. I think these all sound like very promising drinks for the holiday weekend. I agree. Like the Lynchburg Light Lemonade, Jack Daniels Lemon Juice. Mm. Which, <laughs> this brings us to the real reason we're having the podcast today. What better way to celebrate America than with drinks. Happy birthday, America. (laughs) That was the sound of two cocktail glasses toasting. And without further ado, we take you back to the bar for the rest of our conversation with cocktail expert Christine Sismondo. She's Canadian and proud, but does admit America has way better bars. However, American bars are much more interesting for the large part than Canadian bars and they have better selection of drinks because where I live in Ontario we um, are first of all the equivalent of a control state like Pennsylvania where it's very hard to get interesting liquor in and what does that mean a control state there are in the liquor legislation there are some control states in the United States which are states where the sale and importing and distribution of alcohol is controlled by the actual state. New York State is not one of them, for, you know, and that's one of the reasons why New York is relatively cheap, fairly vibrant, has a lot of different selection. Pennsylvania, on the other hand, is a much tighter um, control over the type of liquor. And Ontario, where I live, is um, absolutely atrocious for, and it's just starting to get a little bit better. For an example, and as an example, we didn't have legal cocktails in bars until 1947. And I can remember uh, when I was a kid, you you could never just walk through a store to buy your liquor or your beer. You had to go up to a counter, just like you were getting a prescription at a drugstore, and put in your order. And then somebody would go to the back and get you your little Mickey of gin and sell it to you. And you had to have. ID and some places they even had a passport kind of thing where you know so they could look at how much you had bought over the year. Really? Yeah. If someone was buying a lot would they like what would happen? Well in Ontario until 19 
Until sometime in the 1980s, they had, and this is terrible, what they called the Indian list. And um, the Indian list applied to all um, First Nations people and also to anybody who was known for drinking too much. And they would actually be barred from buying at our control liquor stores in Ontario. And so obviously the most scandalous part of that is the fact that Native North Americans were automatically on the list, right? Um, but it, you know, it's just really there's a big difference, and it's because of the laws. Yeah. Christine, do you think that since it was so restrictive, did it actually cause more like bad behavior? You know. I think that's really hard to say. Um, not to get too academic about it, we're so invested in this idea that um, prohibitions create bad behavior that sometimes we make more of it than we should. I mean, for example, prohibition in the Ameri in America, everyone says this, oh, they drank more than, during prohibition than they did before, um, and that's not true. People actually drank much less during prohibition than they did before because it was really expensive and it was really hard to get. And so the type of drinking that happened may have been more dangerous because people have a tendency in a control state, instead they, they still drink less because it's hard to get it, but they tend to drink maybe more dangerously because they'll buy a, a larger quantity maybe from a smuggler and it might not be safe and you know, they, you don't have a nice atmosphere where you can order just a beer and food. You have to drink it in the back alley or, you know what I mean, it, it leads to a different type of drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, an uglier type of drinking, I think most people would say. Because actually my initial thought was it was like increased drinking. It's actually less drinking, just like... In shady places? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying that Ontario is a controlled state. What's like your favorite drink that you can't have at home that you can't have here? Framboise beer. Like there's this. Uh, this one's really good. I love framboise beer. It's one of my favorite things. What, what is it? Framboise. Yeah, it's a dark raspberry beer. Ooh, raspberry. Yeah, go ahead and try some. Mm, oh, it's like jam. Yeah, isn't that great? As soon it as tastes like raspberry. I know, it really does, doesn't it? Not like bullshit raspberry flavor, right? <laughs> it tastes like actual raspberries. That is so lovely. Cheers. Cheers. To Christine and her new book. Yes. Thank you.